Our text this morning is found in Matthew chapter 8, and I'll read for our hearing the first 13 verses of this passage. And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great, not such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us. Our hearts uh, are ready. We have confessed our sins. We have sung the praises of Zion. We pray that you would favor us with hearing your word, and more than that, that you would also favor us in enabling us to heed it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated. So we're in Matthew's gospel. The question would be, who is Matthew? I've asked that question before, and I've gotten people say, well, he was a tax collector means he wasn't very popular. Others have said, well, he also is named Levi. And I go, yes, yes, you're right. His name is also Levi. But then I press the question a little bit further and say, but who is Matthew? Where did he come from? And everyone just kind of looks at me for a while. And I say, Matthew came from Matthew chapter 28. He was one of those guys. You remember the end of Matthew 28 when Jesus gives the Great Commission? Remember that? And he says to those disciples in that account, he says, go and make disciples. Matthew was one of those guys. And so, when we pick up the Bible and we turn to the Gospel 
according to Matthew, what we are looking at is one of the ways that Matthew was fulfilling the Great Commission given to him in Matthew 28. And that is to disciple. So when we read Matthew's Gospel, when we examine Matthew's Gospel, when we hear Matthew's Gospel, what is going on is Matthew is doing what his Lord said to do. He is instructing us as the followers of Jesus Christ. So as we look at this text, we know that the reason that he has what he has here is so that we might know our Lord, love our Lord, and follow our Lord. Here are his instructions. So we come to this place in Matthew 8, early in Matthew's Gospel, and two men encounter Jesus, and the significance of this encounter is that it follows the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So after Jesus gives this incredible sermon, immediately after, we have these two guys right here. So if this is what Matthew has given to us, we should think, what is Matthew's intention of putting these two guys here at this place in the story? I mean, there's so many things that could be said about Jesus, right? John ends his gospel by saying, if we tried to write everything about Jesus, the world would be full, the world could not contain the books. So here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through human agency and fulfilling his Lord's command, Matthew is writing this right after the Sermon on the Mount. So what is his intention? And why should we care, right? Well, before we get into it, let's recount the sermon, okay? So we can see the import that comes into the encounter of the leper and the centurion. And I'm going I'm, to, forgive me, I'm going to do this in broad brushstrokes, okay? Because I've got a lot of material, and Dwayne said I can only take two hours up here. <laughs> and so I want to make the most of my time. Okay. In chapter 5, when Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us first the Beatitudes. Blessed are, and blessed are, and blessed are. And as he, he says this, he says that if you are these, if this is representative of your life, then you will be salt and light. And I believe the salt that he's talking about is intramural. I believe that's inside the church. We are the salt of the earth, that we are the people group that will affect everyone else. Like what God said to Abraham, that through you and your descendants, all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so this is intramural. This is salt that is in the church. When we look at Mark's gospel, Mark would say this, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? That sounds just like what Matthew says, right? But he continues, he says, So have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. And so I believe the salt is in the church, and if the salt is in the church, then the church becomes the light of the world. Does that make sense? I mean, right now we're not 
really shining very bright. I mean, just coming to church doesn't mean we're the light of the world. You get that, don't you? You can't just walk in here or go into a building that has a steeple and carry a Bible and boom! You are the light of the world. But if we follow the Beatitudes and we say, hey, this is who I am supposed to be. This is representative of what my life should be like. And it's all intramural, which means it's not just individual and personal. It is corporate. Then we are the salt, and then we can become the light. After he gives the Beatitudes, he says, be careful with the word. He says to his disciples, look, I've got to tell you guys, I am going to say some radical things. They're all going to be straight out of the Bible. But since you haven't been just in the Bible, you've left Torah and you've added Mishnah and the Pharisees and the rabbis have been teaching you all these additions and subtractions from the word that when I give you the pure, unadulterated word, you're going to be like, whoa, what is he doing here? And so in Matthew chapter 5, right after the Beatitudes, he says, be careful with the word. I'm not doing away with it. I'm not adding to it. I'm not taking away from it like others are doing and have done. You don't do that either. Plus, I want you, he's talking to his disciples, to go the extra mile. You know, we have our comfort zone, don't we? We have our level of service and sacrifice. And Jesus says, I want you to go the extra mile. And then he, he closes chapter 5 with saying, love goes beyond friends. Love extends, your love is supposed to extend beyond friends. It's supposed to extend even to enemies. And he closes it by saying, chapter 5, he says, Be like God. Be holy as God is holy. You are the enemy of God. You are walking away from God. You be like God in your love. Then chapter 6, he says, pray this way. And there's the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven. He says, pray this way. He says, do not get caught up in the necessities and anxieties of life as if you were unconverted. Isn't that cool? I mean, let the unconverted, let the people outside of the church who do not have God let them worry about life. Why, would sh why should we worry about life? Do you see any birds worrying? Do you see any swallows of the air worrying like they're full of anxiety? How about the lilies of the field? You hear them complaining. Here you have God as your Father. He's already sad in this chapter, chapter 6. Pray, our Father in heaven. So who are we talking to? We're talking to the creator of the universe, right? That's who we're talking to, and we're asking him, after we're hallowing his name and praying his kingdom come and praying that he will enable us to do his will on earth as it is in heaven, to also provide for us our daily bread. So are we going to pray that way? at the beginning of the chapter, and worry about that at the end of the chapter. He says, don't do that. 
And he says, make the kingdom of God and God's righteousness your priority. May that be the preeminent thing in your mind. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Get your head screwed on right. Get your heart calibrated. And do this. This is the most important thing. Pray the kingdom comes. Seek first the kingdom of God. Then chapter 7. This is a pretty amazing sermon, isn't it? I haven't even got to mine. That's about an hour away. Chapter 7, he begins by, Be compassionate toward your brothers and sisters in the Lord and introspective about your own faults, but not about theirs. Do not let the faults of others in the church stop you from loving them. If you want to focus on faults, look at yourself and get that straightened out so that you can love your brothers and sisters in the church. Because we're not normal. We're super normal. We're not mere men. We are men and women who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We are people who serve the mighty king. We are the sons and daughters of God. So yeah, someone offends you in the church. Someone has faults. What are some of the faults in your church? Just, just offer some other people's. Don't talk about yourself. We've got time. <laughs> who is it that in, you, in this church here that you, you, know, you criticize? that you don't want to fellowship with, that you <laughs> don't want your daughter to marry their son, <laughs> or their son to marry your daughter. See, this is what Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples. The multitudes are listening, but he's talking to his disciples, and he wants to teach them because, because he wants them to be different. This is salt that will be shining brightly like a city set on a hill for those outside the church. I mean, they're not going to come in unless we're, we are a display of God's grace and what he can do with sinners, right? So be compassionate toward others and introspective about your own thoughts, not other people's. Talk to God about your dreams and your desires and ask him continually for stuff. You don't think that's in the Bible, do you? It's there in chapter 7. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. What's God like as a father? You're going to ask him for bread and what's he going to give you? He's probably going to give you bread, but probably in the form of a cupcake with lots of icing cream cheese icing? He's not going to give you a stone. So talk to God about your dreams and desires and ask Him continually for things. Realize also the way of life is not broad, but narrow. Beware of false teachers. 
Don't be naive about false believers, he says. And then he ends chapter 7 with build with Jesus stuff, not church stuff. Remember he says the person who hears me but doesn't follow through builds his house on sand. We have to understand something right away here. That Jesus is not talking about the Babylonians or the Philistines. He's talking about people that are going to remain in the church. He who hears my words, where do you hear Jesus' words? You hear them in the church. He's instructing his disciples. His disciples will go and they will build the New Testament church. And that church will be full of people who hear Jesus' words and do them and they build their house on stone. But there will be people that will be in the church their entire lives and will build with religion rather than with Jesus stuff and they're building on sand. That's where Jesus gets this. Many will say, Lord, Lord, have I not done this and have I not done that and have I not done this and have I not done that? And Jesus says, I don't know you. Now, the other members of your church might know you. Isn't that scary? You might, your name might be on the church roll, but I, I don't know you. Now, when Jesus says those kinds of things, we need to understand, through Matthew's writing, that this is kind, that he's being gracious, that he's telling us the truth, that he's wanting us to understand how it works and what it, is, what it means to follow him and what it means to apply the word of God in your life. I mean, I don't know if you've been in situations where uh, you, were, you didn't know what time to get to the party or you didn't know when the bus was leaving and someone else was in charge of that. Now you're getting mad at each other again, aren't you? And you said, well, if you would have only told me. Maybe something at work, you know, you did something and you got in trouble or messed up some things. Well, no one told me. Well, here, God is telling us. And what kind of things is he telling us? There's warnings here. There's scary stuff here, but all through here is, call me Father. And ask me for things. And I don't want you to worry. And I don't want you to be caught up in all the trappings of life like the Gentiles are, the ones who do not have me as their father. This is all great news. He is saying that I want you to live in such a way that your life shines. Your normal life shines. So after he's done with this, these two men appear in the very next chapter. Again, what is Matthew's intention? Well, the leper shows up, and the leper emphasizes the intention of God to bless us. It's interesting that Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the sermon, began with the Beatitudes nine times. Nine times. Jesus says, blessed are. Now, it's interesting that the that the blessing of God is all through the Bible, but it is especially 
emphasized at the major parts of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam and Eve and he blesses them. After the fall, I mean after the fall and toward the end where, G, where God says I've just got to take all these bad people out, he has the flood and he only has one family left which is Noah and as Noah begins the new human race all over again, the reboot, he blesses Noah and his family. Later on, the line of Seth and the line of Cain get all entwined again and God chooses a man, Abram. And he says, leave everybody else, and through you, I will bless. And so there's the blessed again. In Numbers chapter 6, when God is instructing Moses to talk to Aaron and instruct Aaron about how God wants to put his name on his people, he says, tell Aaron to do this, and my name will reside on my people. Say this. You know the words, don't you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you all and give you peace. So we see the word blessed in these significant places. One of the places that, it's mold, that there's, there's five times mentioned is Deuteronomy 28, when they're about to go into the land, which is a significant place part of their history and five times God says I will bless you if you do this I will bless you here I'll bless you here I'll bless you here but in Matthew chapter 5 he says it nine times this is Jesus and he's gone to the superlative this is supercalifragilistic He wants his people to be blessed. If you, let's read those real quick. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Think about people that might be like this. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! Strange thing to follow that, but there it is. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, not just reasonably happy exceedingly glad for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you for great is your reward in heaven if you were on a cruise and you happen to go some island that you've never been before and you stayed in a village and the people of that place did this lived like this, this beatitude kind of life, you talk about it the rest of your life. You think, can we open a hot dog stand or something and just live here the rest of our life? If you were an explorer and you're pushing through some South American jungle and you came across a village of people who, who their lives represented this together, you and I would be like, we found it. 
We found El Dorado, but you know, it wasn't about gold. It was about how people were relating and loving and living together. This is what it was like. And so we see that God wants to bless his people. And so right after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus encounters a leper. And when he sees this man, he heals him. Because this is what Jesus does. He is proving also that he is not breaking the law. He's not adding to the law. He's not taking away from the law. He's keeping the law because he tells the leper after he's healed to go and take the offering that Moses had said that lepers need to take if they are healed. And they go to the priest and he says, let it be a testimony to them of what has happened to you. This is also proof that Jesus does care about the outcast, the outsider. He touches the leper. This is caring. The leper represented the person in the church in the direst need. He was separated from the community because of his disease. He was separated from his own family. He could only return if he were healed. He approaches Jesus and he asks Jesus, are you willing to heal me? Will you help me? Will you restore me? And Jesus says, I will. And he does. Because what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is for people like this. Why do we think Jesus came in the first place? Jesus, are you willing to heal me? Jesus, will you take me back? Jesus, will you help me? Is he interested in that? He didn't have to touch the leper, you know. Because the next encounter, he heals a person without even showing up. But he did. Has he touched you? He can, he will, because he wants all of this for you. The centurion shows up right after. See, this is the genius of how the Bible is put together by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You have this sermon, and then you have Jesus immediately encountering these two people, and with the leper, he proves that he has the power to heal He's done that in chapter 4 anyway. He has the power to heal, but he shows that he's not doing away with the word of God. This is a proof. Go show the priest what has happened to you. And now he meets an outsider, the centurion. And this guy, too, is in a desperate situation. There's something going on with a servant that he loves who is terribly distressed. And this centurion, who could probably afford many servants... He asked Jesus to come and heal him, even though he is not in the church. And Jesus just tells him to lead the way. And here we have, in Matthew's gospel, shock factor. Because this centurion says, Hey, I understand authority. I am a man of authority. I tell this guy to go, and he goes. I tell this guy to come, and he comes. I tell this guy to do this, and he does that. Just 
speak the word. And Jesus turns to his disciples and the multitudes that are following him. And he says this about the outsider, about the Gentile. He says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in the church. He says that, and Matthew tells us that he says that because Jesus wants us to have that kind of faith and that faith needs to be found among his people in the church. This is all about believing. This is all about faith. This is all about trust. And this is all looking back at what he said in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Do you believe it? Do you embrace it? Do you trust him about these things that he said in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7? I haven't found this kind of faith in the church. This man understands the authority. And it also points back to the end of the Sermon of the Mount. Where he says, those who, who hear my words, all these words, and build their lives around these words. They're building solidly, supernaturally. But those who do not, they're not building solidly. They're not building supernaturally. They're building on sand. It's interesting to note that at the end of Jesus' sermon, when he gives those two illustrations, that both the house that's built on stone and the house that is built on sand that both of them encounter storms. But only the house that's built on stone survives. Jesus wants us not only to survive and enjoy a life that is supernatural, he also wants us to shine. He wants all of this for his people. Who are we to have to have faith in, like the centurion? We're to have faith in our Heavenly Father, the one who sent Jesus to die for our sins. Who are we to have faith in? We're to have faith in our Heavenly Father, whose desire and intention is to bless us. He says, ask me. Ask me. Who are we to have faith in? Our Heavenly Father, who tells us to hear His Son. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Follow him. Because you see, we are the leper. We are the members of the covenant that need healing. And we need to do what the Bible requires us to do concerning our own situations. If he was somebody else, Jesus would have given him different instructions. But since he was a leper that if a leper is healed, the leper, by the word of God, has to take an offering to the priest and has to be examined by the priest. And there's a whole ceremony that takes place. He has to. What is your situation?
Whatever your situation is, the word speaks to it, and you must do that. It's wonderful. I have seen the impossible become possible. I've seen lives so screwed up and so messed up respond to God's word. I've seen souls so dried up. I've seen people so angry or so into sin. I've seen, as a pastor, I've seen everything. I am the vault. I know stuff I can never speak of, even if I wanted to, because though I spoke once, then no one would trust me again. I'd be out of a job. I'd have to sell copiers. Do they still make copiers? But I know people, and I'm sure there are people here. I, 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 would, I would assume there are many people here that if you knew their backstory, you would go, no way. Because right now they're a display of God's grace as they have walked in obedience. And whatever their situation is, they have followed what the Word says. And you would never guess. You would think this woman who has all these wonderful children and every woman in the church thinks she's amazing. I'm not talking about anyone here. Not. You would think, no way. And I would have to say, way. What is your situation? And then we are also supposed to be like the centurion who overtly acknowledges Jesus' authority and power. This is what Matthew is stressing. We will leave this day continuing to build our lives on religion, or we will leave, live this, leave this day building our lives on what Jesus has said. One survives and one doesn't. Matthew is telling us that Jesus wants us to be blessed. He wants us to survive the storms of this world. He's telling us that all of this is possible and how it is possible. He's assuring us of his love. And he's telling us that he doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to be filled with anxiety. And he wants us to shine. Let's pray. Lord, help us indeed to believe you. We are people of little faith quite often but we pray that you would increase our faith, that we believe that you can do anything in our lives, that you can make it shine. I pray this for us all, and I pray in your Son's name. Amen.